Hey, I'm Tiffany Woise, and this is the best of What's Mine is Yours. Good morning. Morning. There's some coffee behind me. Great, just what I need. What do you want to write today? I did have this one idea. Have you ever heard a song and felt like it was yours? That it was written for you? Me too. And that's why I moved to Nashville, Tennessee to record and sing songs written by people who have written songs you've heard. The songs you have grown to love, the songs you were raised on, and the songs that you've attached your stories to. Come along with me as I interview songwriters who write the words that inspire all of us. This is What's Mine is Yours. Chris Dubois. Chris was born in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and quickly made his move to Nashville, Tennessee, where his dad worked in the music industry. Chris, not long after, followed in his father's footsteps. Chris is a songwriter and music publisher. He was a part of forming Seagale Music Publishing. As a songwriter, Chris has had over 30 top 20 singles, including 17 that have reached number one. Chris has been awarded Country Music Songwriter of the Year by ASCAP, as well as Songwriter of the Year by NSAI. Chris has written for artists such as Brad Paisley, Chris Jansen, Chris Stapleton, Cheryl Crow, and Blake Shelton. Okay, so I'm not going to lie. I was a little nervous to meet Chris. I've heard so many good things about him. That wasn't that wasn't even it at all. But this was kind of the first time I was going to be meeting somebody who wore the hat of also kind of, I mean, I'm saying this in air quotations, like man in a suit. So he's not just a songwriter. He also runs Seagull Publishing, which is a huge, huge music publishing business in Nashville. So not only is he, you know, the art side, but he's also the business side. And the business side isn't as gentle as the art side of Nashville, I think. And, you know, they have to think with the business mindset, which I really do think Chris does. Chris was such a kind, soft-spoken guy. And we went to Seagal Publishing to record this interview. And, you know, I walked in and he wasn't there yet. And we set up and I looked around and for the amount of success he has, his office is very humble. There's a few awards on the wall, but not much. And I was like, wow, okay. And I noticed throughout the interview, in comparison to other guests I've had, he was a a bit more to the point, you know, a bit more concise with his answers. And there's nothing bad about that. It's just, it's kind of the difference between someone who's also involved in the business side of things, of the music industry, which is so different in contrast to just being a songwriter as well, which obviously he is an astounding songwriter. That's why I chose to interview him. All right. Chris Duvall. What's a new artist that you're excited about in town? Oh, my God. I'm telling you. Okay. You like what they're doing? Alana Springsteen Gosh, is, yes. is amazing. And she I, just actually sang. She sang and, a, a song that I wrote mm-hmm. the other night. And I, I've written with her. I knew she was amazingly talented. But we got uh, an award at the NSAI Awards uh, a few nights ago for the one of the 10 songs I wish I'd written as 
is an award they give out every year. And we were very fortunate to get one of those for You Should Probably Leave. And Chris Stapleton wasn't there, so they got Alana Springsteen to perform the song, and it blew me away. It was she amazing. Was great. It was really, she's one of my favorites. Yeah. And it's funny because I think, um, it really depends on who you're talking to. I think one of I think everyone agrees that she's really talented, but it's really hard when you lean a lot pop too mm-hmm. in in this town. As an artist, for me, I'm very pop country, so you get a lot of heat and flack for that. So I naturally gravitate towards Alana because I'm mesmerized. I want she has an incredible voice. Mm-hmm. She's also an incredible writer. Mm-hmm. So I've always been a huge fan, and I've been buying and streaming her stuff from like the very beginning. I yeah. think before people really knew who she was and now she's starting to really pick up a lot of momentum. Oh, yeah. And I'm she, very excited yeah. about that. Yeah, me too. Really excited about that. I actually think her writing style is in the vein of Taylor Swift, which is really magical because mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people have that gift specifically. Right. It's a really specific type of writing style. And I think Alana has it, mm-hmm. which is you don't run across very often in, in my opinion. No. Kind of transitioning over to more of the Brad Paisley avenue of your career. One could consider just by looking at, say, Wikipedia or the very few things that we can find on you. Mm. One can consider you technically an ex- kind of an exclusive writer with Brad Paisley, for Brad Paisley. Well, no, not necessarily. I wouldn't <laughs> consider myself that. Now, okay. Brad, Brad has always had... As most artists do, Brad always had uh, just a circle of writers that he came up with. And there were real three primary co-writers that he had from the early days when he uh, was still developing as an artist and and was unsigned. And that was myself and Frank Rogers Mm -hmm. and Kelly Lovelace were his three most frequent co-writers. And we just had a great chemistry. We supported each other. And... I think maybe there was one song the four of us tried to write together and we ended up just laughing and joking the whole day. So rare, we never did that after that. So typically it was either two of us writing a song together or three of us, but there was always at least one person out of the four that wasn't on the song and we'd play it for whoever hadn't written the song and just get feedback and we would just support each other and kind of try to steer each other in the right direction. And it, it was a formula that worked. Mm-hmm. and. When Brad's first record found success, uh, we just started working on the next record, and that was a, a process that we have continued through the years. Now, there's plenty of other writers that have moved into that circle. Dave Turnbull uh, and I have had a couple of number ones with Brad. Uh, Lee Miller has become a frequent collaborator of Brad's. He'll write with Brad, just the two of them, or he'll write with Brad and myself or Brad and Kelly, but... So Brad's circle has grown a little bit through the years. Mm-hmm. I've never felt like an exclusive writer for Brad, but I certainly have been one of his confidants, and, and I felt like we've helped each other grow through the years. But he's worked with lots of other writers, and I've worked with lots of other artists. What makes your style of songwriting click with Brad's style as an artist? I think that we just have a common vision of what a great song is. We grew up listening to the same kinds of music. We're both drawn to the same types of lyrical approaches. Um, And really, it's just that chemistry that you can't even really put your finger on when you get in the room. Um, I can typically predict what he's going to like lyrically, Mm -hmm. what song ideas he's going to like. 
And yeah, it's just being on the same page. And we always have been. When I feel like you kind of were in the first wave of songwriters that was working really closely, potentially like with one artist for a lot of their work. Since now that you've said like, okay, so Brad writes with a lot of other, you know, writers, you also work with other artists. What is another artist in town that gravitates to your style of songwriting? I've had some success with Chris Jansen. And um, Chris is a really talented writer and a great artist. And he and I got together and wrote a couple of times before we sat down and wrote Buy Me a Boat. And that changed his trajectory and created some big opportunities for him. And we've continued to write. We also had Fix a Drink, which was a big hit for him. That was fun. So Chris is the one that comes to mind. Here recently, uh, Lynn Hutton and I have really enjoyed getting out and working with Riley Green. Mm -hmm. Um, He's a lot of fun. I love what he does musically, and it really feels like it's in the zone of what I'm good at as a writer. So those are just a couple of examples. So when I walked in, I took a few notes, you know, in my head before sitting down with him. I recognize he has a rack that has a bunch of different baseball caps on it. He has a few awards on the wall. And one of them happens to be a song that he wrote. We all know Chris Jansen's Buy Me a Boat. Such a huge monumental song in country music. Well, originally, you know, I come into every interview decently very prepared on I've I've done my research I've prepared questions but a lot just comes to the top of my head as well because it's just things that I'm very curious about when they're talking something that I did have prepared that I was going to mention to him (laughs) I'm a very tongue-in-cheek kind of person I make jokes I'm sarcastic and you know I was getting the vibe along the way that he was a little bit more um kind of professional in the sense I don't know (laughs) How much I was going to be able to joke. And when it comes to the song, Buy Me a Boat, listen, we all have our favorite songs, right? We all have songs that we're not huge fans of. And that's okay. doesn't mean you're not good at what you do. Um, Music is so subjective. So I was actually going to mention along the way that I I wasn't a huge fan of Buy Me a Boat, not because it's not obviously a great song and like he cares if I liked it or not. It's so successful. But it's just not my favorite song, right? And I was going to make a joke about it. And then I realized, you know, I listened to him talk about that song. He's so proud, as he should be, by the way. But he's so proud of it. And I was just like, you know what? I don't think now is the time to then tell him I'm not a fan of the song. So I just completely skipped it. But that's the thing about music. And especially sitting in this seat and doing what I'm doing is... I get to kind of just say what I want, right? And then there's some times where you read the room and you're like, I don't feel like potentially hurting his feelings. And even though it totally shouldn't, right? You know, we all have our our opinions about things. But yeah, buy me a boat. Huge success. Made a ton of money. It's huge. So many people love it. Just wasn't for me. Not my cup of tea. No big deal. Tell me about buy me a boat when you wrote that. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that day. Was it just with Chris? It was just me and Chris. I have a book of song titles that I've had for years, and it's, I mean, it's front and back pages full of titles. And when I sit down in a co-writing session, sometimes I'll have in my head what I want to write that day. I'll have a a couple of ideas that I don't even need to open that book to look for. Mm -hmm. Then there's days where I don't know what I'm going to write, and I just pull that book out and start looking through titles and and hoping something will jump off the page at me. And, And that day, I... 
I had a title written down, and I'm just doing stream of consciousness when I'm writing those titles down. There was a title in there I had called uh, Money Can't Buy Me Love, But It Can Buy Me a Drink. I had mm. that written down. And that day when Chris was sitting there, I looked at that title, and I I thought there's something in that thought. And then I, I said, what about uh, Money Can't Buy Everything, But It Can Buy Me a Boat? And he immediately picked up his guitar and started playing that chorus. It really was off to the races at that point. Within just a couple of minutes, I think we had that chorus written. We went back to the first verse and started figuring out what we needed to say there. Chris had to leave the co-writing session to do uh, a phone interview. And uh, it gave me an opportunity just to sit and come up with some lyrical ideas for those verses. And then he came back later that afternoon. We pieced all those verses together and then wrote that bridge. And it, it really was a one-day one thing. Right. And that's rare for me. Typically, I'll spend a couple of days on a song. And he was unsigned. So I, I was excited about it. But I also knew that he couldn't cut it for a record because he didn't have a record deal. So we just went in the studio and, and did a demo of it with uh, some phenomenal musicians. But we just did it in a demo session. And uh, I'll never forget, I was in Oklahoma uh, back going to a funeral and I was in Tulsa. And one morning, Chris called my phone and said, turn on the radio, they're playing our song. And I thought, what song? It's like, what are you even talking about? Because we didn't even have a song recorded at that point. And he said, Bobby Bones is playing our song right now. Mm. So he had sent that demo to Bobby Bones and Bobby loved it so much that he just played it that morning during his syndicated radio show. And people called in freaking out over it. So he played it again. And the reaction was so strong that Bobby decided at that point, he said, let's see if we can get this to number one on the iTunes chart. And I mean, I'm in Oklahoma this whole time, and this thing is just kind of just exploding out of nowhere. I've never seen that happen before. And he did get it to number one on the iTunes chart. And by that afternoon, Chris had labels calling him. And that song became a constant part of Bobby Bones' show. He'd play it every morning. And even before Chris signed with Warner Brothers, that song had already gotten up into the top 30 as, a, as an independent record. I'm still amazed at how that process happened. And huge kudos to Bobby Bones for believing in that song early on. He's a champion of of artists and songs he did the same thing with cam's burning house wasn't a single and he started playing it and started getting a huge reaction that ended up turning into a number one for cam so well that song totally breaks the rules too of sure so many things which i think that's ultimately i think i'm going to talk about that later with you about what i think hits and formulas are and i think that we should ditch the formula buy me a boat what was the the magic to that 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 made that what it is i think it was a sentiment that the common man can relate to. It was just being honest and saying, I wish I had more money because who doesn't? Mm-hmm. Um, but that combined with just the musical approach, I felt like it tapped into a void that we had in the format at the time where it just wanted something that felt like it was real country. And so I felt like it came out of um, a real honest place for us but it took it down a path that the listeners were ready to go down, which was just a little more, kind of a little more of a Southern Rocky, straight ahead traditional country vibe. I think it was just a combination of factors. And 
even as you go back and try to study why songs resonate, it's hard to put your finger on exactly why they do, but it certainly did. And we found out quickly um, that people were drawn to that song. So I wish I knew if I could, yeah. if I could bottle that up and figure it out, I'd, I'd write one of those every day. Were you expecting that amount of success? On that, that song? particular song? Mm-hmm. When we wrote it? No. I mean, I, I loved the song. I knew it uh, was one of my better songs that I'd written in a while, but I never expected it to do what it did, especially considering the realities of it is if you pitch a song to an artist that the artist didn't write, um, it's tough to get a cut. I mean, most of the artists are writing their own songs. And now now these days. And at that point, Chris was unsigned. So I didn't know if he'd ever have an opportunity to record it and put it out on a major label. So, I mean, I just keep my expectations in check. I try not to to stress and worry about songs I've written and why they haven't gotten cut. I try to focus on the songs I'm going to write that day. So, yeah, I, I had no real huge expectations for that song. I just try to write songs that I believe in and then move on. Because it all starts with a song and a songwriter. Hey, thanks for listening to What's Mine Is Yours, the podcast with Tiffany Woods. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can stay updated with all things What's Mine Is Yours by visiting WMIYpodcast.com or following me on socials at Tiffany Woods and the podcast at WMIYpodcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We really appreciate it. Recorded in Nashville, Tennessee. Produced in Los Angeles, California. Presented by Tiffany Woys in conjunction with Roundhouse Entertainment. Executive producers Tiffany Woys and The Ed Hill. Original music from Robert Shavers and Kiefer Thompson. Recorded and engineered by Robert Shavers. You can check out my music on all streaming services and a special playlist we've created for each episode with songs written by each guest only on Spotify. Thanks for listening to What's Mine is Yours.